Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 130, my friends. Welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. I apologize. We haven't had some episodes between Thanksgiving and a few things going on in my world. I wasn't able to get these episodes out. We had a couple scheduling things and some, you know, just things. Here we are using the word things. But uh, this week, we have actually an interesting interview with the one and only Logan Price. You may or may not have heard of Logan before, uh, but he's a young entrepreneur. He's an author, aspiring author. He's working on a book. I actually met Logan, oddly enough, through an Instagram live with Coach Mike Bear, uh, B-A-Y-E-R, I think, Mike Bear. Uh, he works a lot with Dr. Phil, and he went live one night, and we both happened to just kind of tune into the live, and he goes live with people on his live thing. I don't know how much you're in Instagram in your particular world, but uh, people can go live with people who are watching their live thing. <laughs> so he said, there's a thing you press to be like available to go live, and so I guess we both had pressed it. And so he went live with each of us individually, and we both kind of listened to each other, and we became friends after that. We followed each other. Uh, you know, he was into our podcast with Elena Cardone, episode 100. If you haven't heard that yet, go back and listen to it. And uh, I was just impressed. This young uh, entrepreneur, and uh, he's writing a book uh, about overcoming fear and that first 20 seconds of uh, something that's causing a fear and being able to just jump in and uh, and go with the flow and get things done and get past that fear within that first 20 seconds. We talked all about that. We talked about the difference of the generations. We talked about how we each look at each other, the millennials versus those of us born in, of course, we were both born in the last millennium. He's 22 years old. And uh, it's just an interesting kind of commentary on different generations. Here I am, 40. He's 22. And I said, you know what? Let's have you on the podcast because there's all kinds of topics we can touch on. And we sure, sure enough, we did. And uh, he's coming to us from, uh, I think, Panama City Beach, Florida. I didn't know this, but that's actually Central Time. There's a little chunk of Florida that's actually in Central Time. I thought all of Florida was Eastern. We're all learning something today. Before we jump into the interview, uh, I want you to get excited for this. You might be thinking, oh, this is some young kid or whatever. No, he's got all kinds of great things to impart here. And by the way, this is his first podcast interview. So we have that distinction down the road when he's uh, the next Tony Robbins or, or whatever things that he does with his life. We talked about that in this this interview. I have no doubt, by the way, given the trajectory that he has, that he will uh, accomplish all the things that he set out to do. He's going to face some obstacles like we all do, but he's got the right mindset. So, uh, you know, let's cheer him on and uh, learn some things from this conversation. But of course, I want to remind you, as always, you are absolutely priceless and uh, you're never alone. This is a time of year where this topic gets uh, kind of muddled for a lot of people, especially in a year like this. This has been a tough year for everybody. So I want you to know whatever you're going through, absolutely, you are not alone. I've gone through all kinds of stuff this year, all kinds of unexpected. Everyone thought, oh, this is a new decade. It's everything fresh and going to be some great thing. And then all of a sudden COVID hits by February and March. And and here we are. It's getting better. We've got some hope. We've got uh, vaccines coming and all these things. And then during the holiday season, a lot of people who are maybe living their lives more or less alone or various things get down on themselves, get depressed, sometimes even suicidal. Please, 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 if you get to those places, especially uh, feeling like you want to hurt yourself or anything like that, please reach out. Reach out. Is any last resort, reach out to me uh, at info at empowerhumans.com, at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, friends, family, neighbors, I promise, I promise, I've seen enough people in these particular situations that uh, there's plenty, plenty of people who uh, want you around who love and appreciate, even if you're not in that you know dire of a place, please know and let's just get our minds right and realize how truly blessed and loved we are. And if uh, any of that's lacking in your world, like I said, reach out, reach out to me, uh, anyone around you. We human beings, it's in our nature overall for 99 plus percent of us to want to help and lift each other. So please, please, please realize that. And again, of course, you're never alone. I want to challenge you. And as part of, you know, lifting ourselves, study, start studying, keep studying, whatever your situation is, learn, grow, 
Find some something that resonates with you. Like I always say, we don't have any excuses in this day and age of uh, technology and literally information, books, audiobooks, videos, all kinds of things at our fingertips. We don't have any <laughs> real excuse not to. Uh, so find something that resonates. I'm not trying to hear, be here and beat you up. I'm just telling you, this is going to lift you also. Studying, finding truth, or just even finding some place to escape sometimes, some fiction or whatever. Study, start studying, keep studying, and share with me what you're studying. Go comment on Instagram. Go send an email, like I said, info at empowerhumans.com. And a second challenge, make great moments. This is the time of year we can especially make great moments. I think something that some of us who are more fortunate maybe than others at times financially maybe can go out yeah, this is something I want to actually go do. Go, you know, maybe go to Little Caesars and buy a bunch of pizzas and just go around and find people uh, who are hurting, people who are begging or whatever on the streets. And I promise you're going to find people. There's something about the way this universe operates. It'll put people in your path because the universe wants people provided for. And uh, I don't want to get too, you know, hokey and in the stars about stuff, but th- th- that's reality. And you'll be able to lift yourself just by being an instrument in that kind of thing. So I'm going to try to do some of that with my boys here in this holiday season. Uh, So make great moments, whatever that might be, surprise, lift others, lift strangers. And uh, these will be pillars in our lives to overshadow the failures and difficulties that we all will have had when when this life comes to an end at at some point. But uh, make great moments along the way. And, of course, our last challenge, let's keep doing this podcast together. Love you and appreciate you. And uh, reach out anytime you need to. Without further ado, let's jump into our interview here with the one and only Logan Price. Here we go. We are pleased and honored to welcome Logan Price. You may not have heard of Logan before. Coming to us today from from Florida. What part of Florida again? You're kind of in the Panhandle area, right? Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm in Panama City Beach, Florida. Yes. So right up in the Panhandle. And he taught me something yesterday that apparently this small chunk of Florida is actually in central time. So for anyone listening, add that to your bit of trivia that you may or may not have known. I didn't know that. You say you run into people all the time. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I think people assume like when you say you're in Florida, almost everyone assumes you're in like down in the Miami area. They don't realize that like Florida is a bigger state and um, the pan, most of the panhandle is central. So almost everything else is Eastern, but there's a little bitty pocket that's central time. <laughs> and you're one of the lucky the lucky ones in that little pocket well cool i'm on pacific time in vegas myself um so logan is you're an aspiring author you're working on a book now as we speak right correct okay and i've met logan some time ago i probably will have covered all this in the intro um we did we haven't met in person <laughs> oddly enough we met through uh coach mike bear was doing if you haven't heard of him, go look him up. He's, he works a lot with Dr. Phil and stuff. He's got some books. Uh, he was doing an Instagram Live, and we both happened to be on there. And we both happened to talk with Mike kind of live on his Instagram Live. And then we just kind of connected, and he, you know, he looked at our Lena Cardone podcast. So, um, but It's so I, crazy how people can connect like that. Yeah, it's an interesting world we live in. And I've always been impressed with you. Normally, we have someone who's already written a book or already this or that. But uh, – as a young entrepreneur, I thought this could be a good conversation to, you know, I was 22 once, just turned 40 um, from a somewhat older entrepreneur, uh, now podcaster and so on, uh, with a younger entrepreneur. I just want to talk about this journey, some thing, and your book, what's the topic on your book? The topic of my book is basically overcoming fear. So I think like everybody, there's, everybody has fear of doing something. And it's basically how to get past the first 20 seconds of that fear. Like, I think if you can conquer the first 20 seconds of any fear, then after that, it kind of uh, debunks itself or derails itself, if you will. And it's about how to uh, surround yourself with the right people. When you're around the right people, they lift you up in the right ways where certain fears don't seem so crazy. And you kind of just get in the right mindset of um, focusing on conquering the fear, not just walking around it and tipping on eggshells. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's such an important topic because fear is something, whether we want to admit it or not, it affects all of us in, in, <laughs> in one form or another, in various ways, various circumstances. Um, let's get back to that in a second. Tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, you're, I don't want to use the word kid because that sounds, that sounds almost No, I say I'm a kid. Yeah, but you're 22. Technically, legally, you're an adult, and you're you're grown, <laughs> young man. Kid, adult, preteen. Call me what you want. <laughs> well, you ain't no preteen either. But so you grew up, and you you're telling me you still live in the same house you grew up in, right? 
Yeah, I'm 22 years old, and I've actually lived in the same, almost the same bedroom my whole life. My brother moved out when I was <laughs> probably like 17, and I switched over to the, the larger bedroom and took over that and made it my little kingdom. But yeah, um, I won't be living at home that much longer, but I've actually been in the same house my entire life. Yeah, I did that when I was a kid because I'm the youngest of three boys. My brother moved on, and I took his better room as well. Yeah. Uh, where I set up my drums and all, made a lot of noise. But anyway, side notes. Um, so you just have the one brother? Yeah, just one brother. Okay. And so you're kind of entrepreneurial. Did that, I mean, you're very, really. Is your brother that way or where did that start for you? He is now. I don't think that, it didn't really come from anyone in my family. Nobody in my family, um, once I hit that, that millionaire mark, I will have been the first millionaire in many, many generations. Nobody is... Um, a business owner or a successful at that um, or has any sort of entrepreneur mindset. I think like you asked about my past, I think um, I'm dyslexic and I was bullied a lot in school. I was told you were never going to succeed. You're never going to be anything one day. And I think that something just clicked in my head one day where I'm like, man, I want to be uh, better than I started surrounding myself with people who uh, like coach Mike, who have written a book and came out of, you know, his stories, he pretty much came out of nothing and then went through like a bunch of issues with drugs and alcohol and yeah. then turned his life around. And now he owns a treatment center and has one best-selling book and he's about to release his second, which yeah. I'm sure will hit the best-selling list. And yeah. um, I think I just realized that if I want to be, um, if I want to live my dreams and do the things I want, I have to surround myself by different people. And that's kind of just how it all got started. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you explaining that too. You made an interesting point, too, about people mistreated you, the dyslexia. Um, was there kind of a pivot point? Because when that stuff happens in people's lives, you can either go one direction where it's, oh, I'm going to shut down, just believe everything people are saying, I'll never succeed. Oh, for sure. For or sure. you pivot the other direction and just step up and uh, take charge and do your thing. Was there a pivot point for you where it's like, no, I've got like some... Uh, and maybe it wasn't some profound moment. Maybe it was. Tell me why you pivoted this direction. <laughs> I think I had gotten to the point where I was probably 15 years old and I was doing everything wrong that I possibly could. I was doing drugs and drinking and self-harming yeah. and doing all this, like going down the absolute darkest road you can go down. And I think it just hit me kind of like how uh, uh, Mike had said in his book, um, I just hit a point where I'm like, I'm either going to die like this or I'm going to completely rise up and be so much better that I can look back at this and use it to help people. Like I want to, I look at people now and I'm like, there's someone who is 15, 16 years old who is going through the same thing that I was and doesn't know that, Hey, just cause you're like dyslexic or something, uh, that doesn't mean that you're crazy or weird. Like, uh, I remember my friends would, well, I say my friends, like in quotations, would uh, have me like read something out loud. That mm -hmm. way they can all like gang up on me and laugh at me. And as a kid, that like wrecks your confidence. I think there's, I, I wrote about this in my book. There's, when you're born, you're only born with two fears, which is one is the fear of falling and the other one is loud sounds. And I think everything else that you're afraid of comes from personal experiences. Like if you're afraid, like my biggest fear was not necessarily is anymore but was public speaking and i know for me like for a lot of people who are scared of something like public speaking their fear came from uh maybe they were sitting at a lunch table and they made a joke and their friends didn't laugh at the joke and then they're like oh well apparently i'm not funny and then maybe you go and ask some guy or girl out and they reject you and then you you're you get nervous and you ever talk and you get nervous and like your throat kind of closes up and your voice kind of shakes a little bit and mm -hmm. things like that, they kind of just add up in your head. And then you're like, well, man, I'm scared to public speak, even though you've never stood on a stage and actually spoken and actually tried it. And yeah. you've never, you never learned what it was like once you get past that, like 20 seconds of fear, and then you can prosper and um, actually enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, it's the act of taking action, so to speak that uh, 100%. It kind of defines those moments too. You know, and as we're talking here, I, I pulled up 
some of the famous dyslexics over the years, uh, people like Richard Branson, Tom Cruise, Leonardo da Vinci, Walt Disney, Jim Carrey, yeah. Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, John Lennon, all these people had some form of dyslexia uh, strug- yeah. and, and zillions more. And in different walks of life, inventors, scientists, actors, musicians, uh, and all very successful and lots of folks not so successful, but people have challenges. How In your young life, uh, it's fascinating to me because I'm always fascinated by all people really, but in different walks of life and young people these days, I kind of wonder what it's like. You're at this pivotal age where you're clearly like, would you fit into the millennial generation? I don't actually know the years. I think technically I'm Gen X or Gen Z or something. I don't think, I think technically a millennial is a little bit older than me. I don't know the exact years, but I don't oh, think really? I say I'm a millennial, but I think that I'm actually the next one, the Gen X or is it Gen Z? I don't I forget. Well, no, it, it doesn't, honestly doesn't matter. I don't even know who, is there some, is there some committee of generation namers? <laughs> I don't even know where, where this comes from. It's just all of a sudden, this is gen this, and this is millennials and this is whatever. But it, regardless, you, most of your life has been spent after the new millennium, uh, yeah. especially your memorable life. Most people don't remember much before the age of two. What, what is it like coming up? I mean, you talked about the drugs and the drinking, and obviously we're going to get into all the other things, but this is all intertwined, and we're just talking real raw talk of life right now. You know, I grew up, I spent most of my time in Albuquerque as a kid, middle school, high school, and so on. Most of my friends did drugs and drank. I, for one, never really did. I, you know, I was a musician and stuff, but I just chose not to. Plus, I had kind of a religious upbringing, and that just kind of you know, anchored in that. Yeah. But what is it like these days coming up with all the technology, the smartphones, the ready access to porn? All, I mean, we're, I'm just being real, all the stuff that's there. Because when I was a kid, it was, if there's porn, it was magazines. Drugs, yes, they were available, but not, <laughs> and, and so, marijuana certainly wasn't legal, like in a lot of states and places it is now. Uh, just, to, I know this is a very broad question. I'm just like really fascinated with with growing up in this time because I didn't and I don't, I just, now I'm an adult watching these kids. Um, and, and for us adults, sometimes we feel now I realize my parents, like how you feel a disconnect, whether it's different technology, new music, new ways oh, of sure. thinking. I know I'm getting very long winded. Just talk to me. <laughs> I think it is weird when you word it like that. Like I can imagine by the time when I have kids, because when I compare it to like, you know, the age of, my parents like for them to sneak around and do things was one thing at that age but like now it's everything is in the hands of like a teenager so you can sneak around and uh do things so much easier and get by with it like i think i had an advantage compared to someone who was like you know above the age of like 50 because i was able to be so sneaky like as long and i was always i was think i've always been viewed as like the good kid too so yeah, I think anybody who's like probably the, the younger of the siblings, and maybe you can relate to this too, was kind of always like the, oh, well, he's a good kid. He's the good one or whatever. And when you have people around you that, you know, think that and say that, and then you're allowed to be sneaky on your phone and talk to people you shouldn't be talking to <laughs> and, you know, maybe sneak out at night, you're, you can sneak around a lot easier than you could back then, which scares the heck out of me because by the time I have kids, I can't even imagine they're going to be like flying around on their spaceships while I'm asleep. Well, in comparison to like what it is now. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, that's all, you know, speculative what will happen. I just wonder, and then I've got a few questions on this topic and we can move on, but how does, any thoughts in your generation of how you look to us older generations? Because when I was a kid, it was like, oh, when you're 40, that's like, you're one foot in the grave. But now I am 40 and I, I feel good. I, you know, I take, decent care of myself and exercise and whatnot. So I don't, I don't feel like I have one foot in the grave. Plus I have a great aunt who's 101. I was telling you about and a lot of my audience knows yeah. about her. I've, in fact, I've had her on the podcast, but um, how does your generation look at those of us who came up in the last millennium? <laughs> and I can you know, only go ahead. I can only look or I can only speak for myself, but for me, and I know this is like probably the best answer. I'm not, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn, but I know people who are 30 that I say are so old. And I also know people who are 85 that I say are my age. Like, I think <laughs> generally, like, and you probably know this from your grandma, when you 
have a conversation with someone and they get, depending on how they talk to you and how they look at life, it says everything about their age. I know people who are, like I said, like 85 years old. I met this girl at, I was coming back from the 10X Growth Conference this past year. Yeah. And I was um, stuck on a, I'd got like, my tickets got messed up. I like booked a ticket for like a month in advance by accident. So I got stuck at the airport for like almost 24 hours. It was horrible. Wow. But I always had this like attitude of, if you look for the problem, that's all you're going to find is the problem. If you look for the solution, then maybe you'll find the solution. And so long story short, I get stuck going on this like flight that I didn't even want to be on. And I get stuck next to this old lady and um, we started talking and she literally sounded like she was 17 years old. I think she was actually like 65. And um, she had actually been at that conference. She's like, oh, I love Grant and Elena. I've been following them for so long. And she tells me this long story about how she used to be like 300 pounds and um, wow. making like $30,000 a year or something. And then her husband died. And then she had lost all the weight. Now she was like 140 or something. Wow. And she was a shorter person, so 140 was like a healthy weight. And um, uh, she had wrote her first book, published it, and then she was in the process of writing her second book. And we were taking notes because like our books were kind of about the similar things, um, about like mindset and how to surround yourself by the right people. And we ended up having this crazy long conversation. And I have, um, yeah. what is it, like lounge access at airports? Yeah. And she didn't. And she was like, man, she was on the same situation too. Like both of our flights got messed up. So she was hungry and she's like i don't want to go and spend 20 bucks on a subway sandwich at some airport i'm like hey i can take you into the lounge with me and so we were in the lounge for like four hours straight just taking notes on like our books and this lady's like i've probably i think i thought she was like 45 and i think she ended up being like 60 something yeah and yeah. um but she has such a young soul and she's like i didn't used to be like this like four years ago you would think i was some old hag i would never fly or travel I was like, my life is done. And then once her husband died, she just completely turned her life around. And now she was like um, my age. So to answer your question, I think that I, I, me personally, I look at people for their attitudes and their aspirations. That really says your age. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Great answer, honestly. And I, and I observe with your generation, you're actually the same age as my, my oldest niece, um, she lives in Oregon. She's doing the news actually on an NBC station, Oregon. Now she's graduated from ASU. And, uh, oh, nice. and I just wonder, you know, as I look at the generation, my observation from a distant sort of is that uh, uh, you, you guys are very open, open to each other, open to find out things, obviously open to things that previous generations weren't so much things like supporting gay marriage and drugs and, and things. Uh, and I, I know that's a very broad stroke to make, but overall my observation is, is that, but it, it's also reflected in your answer. Like you're looking at people as who's this person. It's not what's their age and, and some preconceived idea of what that means. Oh, you're a baby boomer. Okay. Boomer, you know, the stuff, <laughs> these kids. Yeah. Oh, I said that to my parents all the time. My, my kids taught me this okay boomer thing. I've eight and 11 year old <laughs> boys. And I was like, what the heck is that? You know, I'm not a boomer, but uh, yeah, it, it's just interesting. I wonder too, because I kind of, I, in some ways I worry about your generation because in some ways you guys inherited a lot of stuff. That's not your fault of ways that previous generations have, have uh, shaped the world and the finances and, you know, social security, um, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but I just, I'm just talking about kind of the, the general kind of gaps between generations and how we look at each other. And, and really, I like what you said, though, because you're just embracing someone for who they are. They might, they might be 22 and feel like they're 80 and might be 65 and feel like they're 17, as in the story you just told. Um, I don't, there's not really a question there. <laughs> it's just, how do you guys look at the world that you're inheriting is kind of the question from those that came before? Um, I don't know. That's kind of a tough question. I think that, um, I think like educationally I, before, like I know my parents, my grandparents and along with a lot of other people that are um, older, as they hear that I want to write a book and that I want to, uh, be on stages or whatever kind of their first attitude is well why aren't you in college or why aren't you taking this education 
And I think that back then going to college, saying, telling somebody to go to college was very good advice. And nowadays the world is just like changing so fast that like for what I want to do in life, college would make absolutely no sense because I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I want to be a public speaker and a best-selling author and um, making changes and a huge real estate investor. And really none of that has to do with the college route. And I think that the older generation tends to kind of stick to their roots and not, um, uh, they weren't brought up the way that like we are. So they don't realize that there's so many ways to make money online and there's so many uh, different avenues. I don't think that college is going to be such a necessary thing, you know, maybe 20 years from now, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, college was like the only way that you could actually have a decent career. Maybe not the only way, but for the average person going to college for eight years meant you were going to be, you know, you were going to make it in life. But now uh, I look at someone that's going to college for eight years and I'm like, oh man, you got to put off eight years before you start making any money. Yeah. And I appreciate that perspective. I appreciate that you're smart enough to realize that. I mean, let's just be real. It's uh, the education system and there's statistics on this too. Back in the 1970s, before I was born, I was born in 1980. uh, It was, the kind of the proportions of cost of living versus education, everything was much, much lower. And we're not even calculating inflation. We're just talking apples to apples with the numbers then versus with the now. Everything was much more affordable. So people take on now Very a lot of times, true. yeah, six figures worth of debt these days uh, to have some business degree or whatever. And then oftentimes, and that's not to disparage anybody who does that, you know, more power to you. I hope you do something. I, I do know lots of, oh, of folks. Course. We need doctors and lawyers just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But I know, I know enough folks who have a master's degree and, and still work a blue collar job that didn't require the degree. Oh, of course. Um, and then they just have all the student debt hanging over there. So you got to be smart. You got to, got to be smart and strategize these days. And on top of that, though, you have access to so much more, so much like literally at your fingertips with these smartphones and everything yeah. else that even we didn't have, you know, <laughs> in my yeah. last generation. So it's just changed so much. Yeah. And, and I like it's what you It's still changing. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know where we'll be in even 10 years, but hopefully this virus stuff will have gone away. But I like what you said about focusing on a solution versus a problem. You probably know Tony Robbins always talks about where where, uh, focus goes, energy flows. And so you can focus on the problem, oh, this problem, this sucks and all that. Or you can focus on solutions and you're doing that. Um, what else do you want to say about your entrepreneurial journey and getting you to this place? Is there anything else or anybody else that inspired you to kind of pursue this route in your, in your young life here? Probably. I heard um, the podcast you did with Elena and you asked her the question. I think it was, who's your hero or something like that. Yeah. And it got me, I was driving in my uh, car on the way home from the gym last night as I was listening to it. And <laughs> um, if you were asked me that question, my answer is Sarah Blakely. Do you know who that is, first of all? Is she Sarah the Blakely? founder of Spanx? Yes. Okay, so good. Spanx I'm glad I was like right. The, uh, I'm a guy, so I don't know how to explain this well, but it's basically like some sort of like, I think she used to use pantyhose and like turned into leggings or something like that. Probably any girl listening to this knows what Spanx is. Yes. But she had this idea to invent this product geared towards women in the beginning. At least now it's men too. Mm-hmm. But um, she had this idea to invent this product and she uh, understood that if she went to her uh, family and friends that she would get a lot of, well, you know, maybe you should go to college instead or kind of that, you know, what you, what you get when you want to be something that no one's been before. And so for two years, she worked on inventing this product and got it patented and everything while selling fax machines door to door. And then... She (laughs) went and basically got the product available, like invented everything to where she had the packaging and everything. And then she went and told her parents, you know, two years later, for two years, she kept it a secret. Like, I can't even imagine someone doing that. And then went and she got the product into some store. And I'm probably going to tell the story a little bit different than what it actually is. But she got the product into this store and then she got all of her friends She's like, hey, I'll pay you the 40 bucks that it costs. Go in that store and buy my product. And she would have all of her friends go and buy the product completely out 
within the store is like, oh my gosh, this product is amazing. And so then they, she's like, I, I need more of this. So the store, let's just say it was Target, for example, they put it in all of the locations. So then her product got everywhere. Yeah. And then she's doing the same thing. She's buying her own product to make it look like it's selling fast. <laughs> and then long story short, it starts getting in a bunch of stores. And then she sends it to a bunch of people. One of the people was Oprah Winfrey. So Oprah opened up the product, used it, loved it, had her on the show. Long story short, she started the business with $5,000 selling fax machines door to door and kept yeah. it a secret for two years and became I, I wanted, one of the first female billionaires. I think that Oprah was the first, but one of the first female billionaires um, in America. Like That's yeah. just the craziest thing. And she is a billionaire and drives a normal Mercedes. I mean, it's a Mercedes, but it's still a probably $60,000 car and lives in a pretty decent sized house but it's nothing crazy and she goes to target with her kids she's like a completely normal person it's like when you think of a billionaire you think like private jets and yachts and she's just like living this normal life which i'm more of a flashy person i want a private jet like that's my biggest dream and um but it's interesting to see someone who can be such a great example and then still just go back to living a normal life like it was never really about the money for her right well, it's all so about that would the, be my hero. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for Yeah, that's a great, great story. The tenacity there that it took to just keep doing and and, you know, having her friends and so on buy up these products. But then, you know, usually getting Oprah involved yeah. tends to help any product or book or whatever. So that helped too. But of course, I saw a video with her where she actually went back to the house where she started this, uh, you know, Spanx. And she talked, yeah. she just like knocked on the door. I don't know if it was staged. I don't think it was. She just went with a camera and just knocked on the door and they let her in. And, and she said, Oh yeah, I used to have just piles of boxes over here with product. And we had our computer I over here. And, yeah. I'll find it for you and send it. You can, I think it's on YouTube. It might've been on her Instagram, but in any case, really inspiring story because, you know, she was on a mission to get something done regardless of barriers, regardless of, uh, you know, the resistance out mentality. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what it takes. It's, it's that whole thing. Like we said, Tony Robbins where focus goes, energy flows. And she was focused on the, the end game results. And, uh, you could get caught up in the, Oh, this moment where something went wrong. There's always going to be something go wrong. And, and by the way, since we're on that topic, I don't want to shift gears from Sarah here, but, uh, as a youngster, I remember people looking at life and, and I've, and I've heard studies where they ask high schoolers, Oh, what do you think your average uh, income is going to be? What do you think yours will be, you know, when you're into your career? And I think the average answer was something like $300,000. And uh, which clearly statistically isn't realistic because, you know, I think the average income is something like $30,000. And I don't yeah. know if what these days I haven't looked recently, but roughly in that ballpark. And most people end up average because that's why we have the average numbers. Um, and then you talked about a private jet. Um, I'm, I'm kind of asking from the standpoint of, I always thought things weren't going to go wrong for me and things, you know, things do go wrong. What, what are your views oh, as, as you're a youngster? Uh, you know, and again, I'm not saying that any condescending way, I'm just saying you're a young person. Uh, as as you look forward and you look towards maybe your jet or whatever things you'll get to, um, <laughs> do you see a clear path forward? Are you anticipating failure? I guess that's the question because I'm, I'm, I didn't. Not anticipating, I'm not anticipating failure, but I'm anticipating roadblocks, which you know people call failure. But I think to me, I define failure as giving up. Like I fail every single day but I, I choose to learn from the failure and make it into like, all right, okay, now I can get to the next level. So in my head, it's really not a failure. Like the only way that I can truly fail is if I give up and talking about the, you know, the high net worth and everything. I think that, you know, on average, most people are going to make between 30 and $60,000 a year. But what makes your goal different is, you know, are you going to decide to be average or are you going to decide to be something extraordinary like the Sarah Blakely story? She could be average and make the, you know, thirty-five, dollars $60,000 a year, but she chose to not do anything that the average person is doing. Like, uh, 
everything that she was doing in business. She was thinking outside of the box and hanging around the right people, not her friends who you want to bring her down. That's again, why she took two years to tell anyone because she knew the dangers of her friends saying, Hey, it's okay if you don't succeed. And that's not what she wanted to hear. She wanted to hear, I'm, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to make this work. Um, but yeah, I think it boils down to who you surround yourself with that can, um, determine where you're going to go. If you're, if all of your friends are average and they're, you know, have an average marriage, which by the way, lasts seven years or an average income, which is $40,000 or whatever. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to fall within that category. So if you changed who you're around where, you know, you're the five people you're around the most, they're all billionaires and they all have very successful marriages and um, loving families. I could pretty much guarantee your net worth is going to be pretty high up there. Yeah, that's, I'm glad that, and you told me you read a lot of books. You know, when I was 22, I wasn't reading uh, as much. I just, I started getting into this in my thirties and stuff. And now I just turned 40 this year, but um, so your, your head start on me. Uh, I, you know, I was always self-employed entrepreneur, you know, ran a mortgage company and various things over the years. Um, but I always, and as part of my perfectionist thing too, I always thought, oh, well, nothing, nothing bad's going to happen with me. But then things, you know, the, we had the financial crisis back in 2000, you were probably 10 years old or so when that happened, but I was 27 ish when that was happening and, <laughs> and our company fell apart and you start to see things. So when you look at it as, okay, these are, what are they stumbling blocks or stepping stones? You look at this is a new opportunity. And I, and I think too, we had a podcast about failing uh, yeah, as a, as kind of a path to success. It's, it's part of the process. Fail, like you say, ultimate failure is giving up. But I, I think about Babe Ruth, not only having the uh, home run record, but he also had the strikeout record. Uh, so it's a real important kind of double-edged sword to keep in mind. You've got to be able to go to bat, so to speak, in life to be yeah. able to hit those home runs. And you will strike out here and there. But you're going to – you've got a great mindset. You're on your way, my friend. Uh, let's let's talk more about this book. And if you don't mind, maybe before you get in the book, tell me the story that you told about uh, the beach and the girl and the football. <laughs> I love that. So like I said, the whole book is kind of the, the basis of the book is how to conquer that first 20 seconds, because I really do believe after that, everything gets easier. If you can always choose to go, you're not going to have 20 seconds where you're not scared. That's not going to exist. Courage isn't not being scared. Courage is just simply doing it anyways. And the the story you were asking about is I was walking down the beach and like anyone that knows me knows that I like suck at talking to girls. I don't know what it is, but I always end up saying the wrong thing or I'm too nervous to walk up or whatever it is. Yeah. Like probably any teenage guy, if they're being completely honest, can relate to me. And I see this girl on the beach. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's so pretty. And I want to get, I want to get her number and talk to her. And I knew how scared I was. I knew how I am. So I use this 20 second thing that's in my book and I see a football laying next to me and I'm the only person on the beach. Or I'm the only person that I know on the beach. I'm not like, you know, playing football with my friends or something. I pick up this football and I throw it at her literally as hard as I can. Like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not good at sports. I'm not very athletic. I threw it so hard at her that she had lupus. I found this out after the fact it left a nasty green bruise on like her arm. Like I had thrown Jeez. it that hard. And so I don't know how to this day, I don't know how in the world she didn't like automatically like get mad at me. I guess she just thought I was playing football with someone. I don't know. Cause there was no one to play football with, but so I throw this football at her and I run up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, um, I didn't see you. Can I buy you like a drink or lunch or something? Like, I'm so sorry that I did that or whatever. And she's like, no, I'm not, I'm hungry. I'm not hungry right now. It's fine. It's fine. I think I ended up getting her a water or something, but, um, so we had this like funny story to talk about. So we just started talking till like 11 or 11 o'clock at night or midnight that night on the beach. And yeah. then um, and it was one of those conversations. Like, have you ever had a conversation with someone where you're up all night and then like the sun rises and you're like, how in the world did I stay up all night? Like, I've only been <laughs> sure. talking for 30 minutes. Uh, I think everyone that's like had a young relationship probably gets that. And um, we just had like the best relate with the best conversation we connected and we ended up dating for two years. And that's how we met is I 
did something really stupid, like throwing a football at her, which she mm-hmm. found out like six months later that I, that was totally on purpose. And it was like hilarious because it was like the <laughs> biggest flex I could do. Um, but yeah, it's having the courage to just break that barrier and take action immediately. Because when you're scared of something, the biggest way to become more afraid is to throw time on it. And the easiest way to get out of fear is take time out. Because when you're scared of something, say like, uh, I don't know, my, I was the first time I was public speaking, I was so, so scared. That was my biggest fear. Once I finally got on that stage, almost every, I was really nervous at first. My voice was shaking. My legs were shaking so bad that I had to like stand funny. That way I didn't shake too much. And once I had, you know, began speaking, the fear kind of started to roll off because it realized it didn't have any time to eat off of. And if you're scared of something, the second you, uh, say making sales calls, anybody that owns a business and has to make sales calls, they're looking at the phone and they're like, all right, when the phone, when the person rings, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and they start going through their head, and then they get more scared, whereas if they would have just dialed the number and held the phone up to their ear, the fear would be gone by the time the phone gets answered. Yeah. No, absolutely. I appreciate that story and that insight. It's uh, it's real interesting to me as we dig into fear. That story is great because it reminds me, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Yes Man with Jim Carrey, but uh, he he just, I don't remember the whole saga in the, in the story, but basically he's, he decides, oh, he goes to some conference and this guy challenges him, say yes to everything in your life. And so people ask him to do this or that or whatever it is. And he says yes. And it starts leading to all these great things happening in his life and a great girlfriend and a great uh, financial situation and so on. And, and he's, you know, he's becomes a musician and all kinds of interesting stuff, spoiler alerts. But, um, it's it's interesting and it's not that we necessarily say yes to everything but if you're gonna say yes to something and do it with your heart you go for it and i think that's a lot of what you're saying this 20 second thing exactly um yeah it it reminds me a little bit of mel robbins she has her five second rule too about it's a little bit different than what you're saying but you something you need to do and you just count down and go uh you know, trigger your frontal lobe and get going in your brain and and do something instead of just sit and think and stare at the TV. Um, But what is it really that we're fearful of? Because public speaking in and of itself is not, it's, it's just a thing. Uh, Most things in the world are just things. So we're fearful of some delusional thing that we've concocted that someone's going to laugh at you or, or make fun of you in some way. Uh, <laughs> when, it, when it gets right down to and or when, you, when it comes to the talking to a girl, what are we scared of? Being humiliated, maybe being rejected. Uh, I think as people, we just want to like simply, as raw as it sounds, people just want to connect with people and be loved. And when you're talking about something like, going up on stage, your fear is that people aren't going to love you or aren't going to accept you or think that you are um, awkward or think that you don't know what you're talking about. And you kind of play these little movies in your head. Like if I was going to go ask this girl out, what if she laughed at me because I'm not tall enough or because my muscles aren't big enough or I'm not manly enough or, (laughs) and you just, you kind of barrel down you just watch these little movies in your head of, you know, what if she laughed at me? What if she, you know, threw a drink in my face at some bar, whatever the situation is. And I think that we just want to be loved and accepted and connect with people. And I think we always have a fear of that not happening. I don't really know where the fear comes from, except for, like I said, personal experiences. But um, even like when you're a baby, you want to connect with your mother. You want like nothing makes a baby more happy than when the mother holds the baby and rocks it back and forth. And I think probably your whole life, you're always looking for that, you know, connection again. And I think you're always scared that someone's going to reject you and not give you that connection, which is not the end of the world. So I don't really know why we're so scared of it. Like who cares if a drink gets thrown at my face, I can take a shower. It's not that big of a deal. Um, But yeah, I think it's the fear of not being loved and um, accepted. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely right. That's that's what's passed down all these generations to now us. The, this is the human experience, needing to be loved, needing to love each other, needing to connect. And going out on a limb to go 
become Babe Ruth or become a Tony Robbins or various things where you're, you're in a vulnerable place where you could fail in some capacity or be made fun of. That's the only, interestingly enough, that's and what I've learned in my relatively short life too, if we're being honest, that's the only way to build the confidence is you have to, you have to step up to the plate and do it. You have to do in order to build the confidence. You have to impress yourself uh, enough that, wow, I actually did step up on stage. Or I actually did go talk to that person, that girl yeah. that, or, or make that connection in business that I was scared. Oh, I'd be rejected. And sure enough, it was actually, maybe they aren't all successful. Again, Babe Ruth with the strikeouts, but enough that you have enough tenacity to, to keep going and, and believe you can get up and do it again. Exactly. And I know this is, some of this is kind of like cliche. Oh yeah. Well, we could go listen to someone smarter and more famous than you, like a Tony or Grant Cardone, but these are just principles that we need to apply. We're no all where saying you the same from. thing too. Yeah, it is. Cause you've looked about it. Yeah. How many books did you read and listen to this year? <laughs> it's December. Um, by the end of the year, the goal was 60 and I'll be really close. I might even be a little bit over it. All right. The average person, I think the average, average person reads less than one book a year and the average top CEOs read, I believe 52 books a year. And that's why I made it 60 because I want to be better. So I read 60. (laughs) (laughs) No, there you go. I appreciate the tenacity there too. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, uh, that's great. And we talked yesterday about speeding up audiobooks, So you might be able to get through, you know, over a hundred next year. Uh, (laughs) Cause most of us could still understand, even if it's at double speed sometimes. But anyway, that's a little side note topic, a little hack, so to speak. But um, okay, so talk to me about the book. Are there any principles aside from what we've gone over with the twenty second? Anything else you want to impart without giving away too many spoilers? Uh, you're gonna have to set a, a date for this book to be released. And now that we've t- talked about it publicly, everyone's gonna be sitting with bated breath waiting. But any other principles oh, about fear? I cannot wait for the day where I can announce my book. Um, to answer <laughs> your question, different principles. Um, yeah. Like I said, the, the moral of the book is getting over that first 20 seconds. But then it's also just the things that I've learned in life. Like one of the biggest, like I said earlier, the biggest thing that I um, struggled with was making friends. So it's, it's how I surround myself with a good team. And by team, I don't mean business. I mean uh, my parents are a part of my team. My brother's a part of my team. My, um, my personal trainer is a part of my team. My employees are a part of my team, but keeping my team, um, it's how to keep your team clean. And, uh, like we've all heard before, like you're the average of the top five you surround yourself with. It's keeping your top five as clean and as, um, powerful as possible. That way you can go out and get dirty in war, but come back to your team and recharge. And, um, yeah. It's about, it's about the fear and basically who you surround yourself with. All right. I like it. I think these are powerful topics. And uh, boy, at your young age too, you know, I think of, you remind me a little bit of Megan Gallagher, who we had on the podcast. I've mentioned her once or twice since then, because I was very impressed with her. Um, her whole thing, her whole, I don't know if I want to say niche, but it's a thing that's really affected her in her life too. It's not like she just chose, I want to focus on a niche is anxiety. So she goes to schools and speaks, you know, these days a little less than before, but um, about anxiety and overcoming and these fears and especially with girls uh, where this, in my experience, at least seems to be more prevalent as well. Uh, you can speak to these younger, you know, as a 22 year old, you can resonate. I'm sure I could too, uh, in my own way, but there's just something to be said for young people coming up because the decisions and the attitudes toward life that, that people choose and develop between the ages of about 12 and 25 will determine the whole rest of their lives. Everything they do choose and view about life. (laughs) Yes, they can change later, and adjust and grow. And hopefully we all do in the positive direction. But uh, I, I just feel like you're in a place where you could especially make an impact, at least now in that realm, because you're a little bit older than these folks. You have a little more experience and you're an entrepreneur and, and that, that might be inspiring. Uh, I think too, like my, my son likes to play video games and I'm kind of getting a little, uh, 
concerned, I guess, for <laughs> lack of a better word, because I don't want him to think, oh, I'm going to be some video game streamer and be, maybe he will. I'm not trying to discourage people. Like I wanted to be a famous musician and stuff. And I had fun with that. And I got to know some really cool, awesome people in that realm. Uh, but what, what do you have anything to say? I know we're shifting gears and we're all over the map a little bit here today, but do you have anything to say these days people get so like sucked into their devices and then they think I'm going to be a famous this or that everyone like YouTube didn't even exist when I was a kid, but every kid now wants to be a famous YouTuber from what I hear. Uh, That's so or, interesting. Or sit and yeah, like when I was a kid, it was everyone wanted to be Michael Jordan or this famous guitarist, depending on what you were into, if you're a sports or rocker, you know, you had these terms for who you were, if you were a rocker or jock or different things. And so you had to be like, trying to you know they used to say i want to be like mike about michael jordan uh do you have anything to say though to people these days getting sucked into their devices and video games and stuff and if not i know i'm putting you on the spot with some of these questions uh, no you're fine what are your thoughts i think that for the longest time i wanted to be an actor and i think the reason why is because i saw actors and actresses and i'm like that's cool they get to be on tv they get to drive fancy cars have little paparazzi following them or whatever and i'm like that must be a cool lifestyle or whatever and i think that for kids a lot of kids see a gamer and they're like oh wow i get to play games and get paid and you know sell merch and have all these cool friends and same with being a youtuber and i have a youtube channel as well it's not big but um i want to break into that realm as well and i think that the issue with that is i made a decision to decide what I want my life to look like and what actually aligns with my purpose and my reason. And the reason I chose what I chose, which is, you know, being an influencer and public speaking and um, writing books is because as silly as it sounds, I like to travel. Mm -hmm. I would get to travel all the time. Um, I really enjoy, I'm not one of those people that's like, I'm in business to help people. Cause like I own a car detailing business in Florida and it's very uh, popular. Everybody here, I'm the biggest um, car detailing or mobile car detailing business here. And I'm not in that business to help people. I'm in that business to detail cars and make money. That's what that business is. But for the entrepreneurship, I see kids that are like, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, that are going through what I was going through. And it just breaks my heart. And I want to be a voice that I can help people like that. That is my way of helping. And in order to help those people, I have to be, you know, a level of famous. I have to be on stages and um, promote my book. That way people can read my book and maybe I'll save someone's life someday. And um, for me, it was finding out the true reason of why I want to do whatever my career is. I wanted to be a pharmacist for a little bit. I think that's because like my parents said they make a lot of money. And I was like, I like money. I want to be a pharmacist, whatever. And um, so finding out what I truly wanted to do at my core, which is help people from a large level is why I decided to do um, what I'm working towards now. But back to what we were saying earlier is I'm dyslexic. I could never read and write when I was a kid. It took a long time for me to learn how to read mm -hmm. and writing was not even a question. So for me to say, um, also I was, my biggest fear is public speaking. So I'm like, I'm never going to be on stage. I can't write a book because I'm dyslexic. I was telling myself all these stupid things. And then I'm like, I really want to be that. How can I do that? So I started writing a book. I didn't know what I was going to write about at first. I'm just like, all right, these people that I look up to, they all have best-selling books. So I guess I need a best-selling book, right? So I started writing my first book. And then it kind of broke out into this um, me dumping a lot of what I've read out of the 60 books that I've read this year as well as my own personal experiences and things that I've been through that I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about that I think a lot of people um, struggle with as far as like, like you said, the anxiety thing and um, getting bullied and not, I think a lot of people think that you have to be at like rock bottom to excel. And I think the problem with that is a lot of people get stuck in a place where they're not necessarily happy, but they're not, sad enough or broken enough to really do anything about how they're feeling so mm. a lot of people go and I, I call it autopilot they wake up they drink their coffee they go to work or they go to school they hang out with their friends that they don't really like that you know they 
everybody has those friends where they, they bully you and they make you feel bad, but they kind of like do it in a joking way where it's like, um, you know, oh, you really choose to wear that or whatever. Ha ha, that's a bad example. But we hang around with those friends and then get stuck on this autopilot. We're like, we're not happy at all, but we're like, we're doing fine. We're not sad. We're not like about to kill ourselves or anything. So there's no reason to like, you know, seek help, maybe a therapist or a close friend that can really check up on you and say, hey, like, how are you doing mentally? Like, how are you handling um, everything that you're going through right now? And I think a lot of people get stuck in that middle place and that can take a huge toll on what you actually want to do with your life. Like, I can't decide that I want to be a public speaker and an author if I'm in this place of like, I'm not happy, I'm not sad, I'm just here. And I don't ever want to be here. I want to be actually present in the moment and doing what I believe is right, which is um, being up on stage and actually um, helping people. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate all that perspective. And uh, yeah, there's a ton, a ton of value there. And I don't doubt that if you focus your energies, efforts and resources properly, you can bring all those things to fruition. It's, it's kind of a slippery slope in my experience. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying you're in this place, but uh, the whole fame thing in and of itself is kind of something that can follow by, by just bringing value. Uh, you know, sometimes fame for a lot of people is the end game. That's like our, that's like our version of royalty in America is, is we've got Hollywood and we've got famous people who do this and that. Um, but also I found in, again, my somewhat limited experience, but that when people uh, find their real uh their real path to passion. yeah their passion and path to really lift others it's like old zig ziglar used to say that uh, you have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want and and that's I love that what it gets to, yeah when it gets down to whether and you'll find that the all the stuff with the jet and all these things that's all fine and good stuff none of that is happiness at the end of the day i i I don't know if you ever heard of a guy oh, named Tom. Not. Yeah, there's a guy named Tom Hopkins who used to do, I think he still does. He's probably getting up there a little bit, but he he was, I think, the top realtor in the United States at one time. So he was selling t zillions of dollars of real estate, and uh, and his goal was to have a jet. And then he realized he got a jet, and and he learned all these things about oh well, it makes more sense to have like a timeshare jet. And uh, he just like went about it a different way now that he was in that position of. Oh, I just thought I'd just have a jet and just fly everywhere and just uh, you can kind of strategize more, but it's not it's not the stuff at the end of the day. It's the impact. It's the it's the legacy um, oh, that course. really fires people. And it sounds like that's that's where you are too. I'm not I'm not trying to be you know counsel you too much either. I'm just telling you. Oh no no no. We're just sharing stuff I, I we've don't learned. Think <laughs> it that way either. I think that uh, a better example is like. I look at how I want to do things and how I want to live my life. And in order to help the amount of people that I want to help, you have to have a level of fame to help you say, if I want to help, let's just say 5 million people. I can't do that living in the small town with no name. I have to have a name to be able to help that many people. And that's kind of where the fame comes in. I never wanted to be, I did want a private jet. I've always wanted that, but I never wanted the fame until I realized that like, I look at someone like Grant Cardone, he can't help as many people scale their business without the the fame side without holding the big conferences and the things like that he's not getting followed by paparazzi or anything like that that's a completely different level of um fame and then to the private jet thing you have people like sarah blakely who's a billionaire and might fly private sometimes or she's on like american airlines sometimes yeah that's just what she likes she's like i don't need a private jet and then you got grant that's like probably around 500 million net worth and um he loves his private jet so it's definitely a case by case what you truly want it's not a trophy to i've made it because i'm famous and i have a jet if you're if you're looking for that you're going to be real sad when you get it well yeah and just just remember that five million has to start with one this road of a thousand miles starts with the first step so you speak to 20 people and maybe it's 25 people and eventually you're up to 100 people and and you build an audience and then a name for yourself and a reputation and then the same it's always gone this way what we think of as we look at, because we know someone is famous now, their overnight success took them 20 years or, or 10 years or five years or 30 years. Um, but 
it's uh, it's about that those steps, just steps forward. Forward is forward, even at a snail's pace. Forward is forward, and uh, you got to. No one's generally starting with a five million person plus audience, but uh, you get there by building your reputation, building your relationships, and just going, going, going. Uh, so I commend you for everything you're doing. We could talk. Maybe we'll have a sequel. Um, is this your first podcast you've done? This is my very first podcast, and not to interrupt you, but. Um, like we were saying about the fear of getting up on stage and everything. I didn't tell you this, but I was so nervous to do a podcast because like the, the whole fear thing, I'm like, I'm going to be boring. I'm going to not know what to talk about. I'm going to accidentally say something about my book that I'm not supposed to say yet or something. And after talking to you yesterday, most of that fear kind of went off because you kind of just, I realized you were just a normal person. <laughs> and then um, now we did it. Now we're here, but this is my very first podcast. Yeah, well, we have the distinction as uh, you become Logan Price, the author, speaker, and well-known person that this was where, this is where it all, from the podcast side at least, this is where it started. So um, I appreciate all your insights and everything that you're doing, and I commend you and encourage you to keep going and lift as many people along the way as you can, and that honestly will lift you that much more too, and you'll, you'll realize the more you give of yourself, the more yourself will be, uh, you'll reap blessings and benefits. Um, but you're already learning that. I could, you're ahead of where I was. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're building something, I think, that's, that's beautiful and impactful. So, um, Logan, let's stay in touch. Let us know when the book's coming out. And we will have you back on and talk about that, too, when that's, uh, uh, you know, coming out and being released and all that. Until next time, for our audience, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.